0: Hello and welcome to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. And first up uh, to join us today is Joanne Lavelle, auctioneer, sales and letting agent and property valuer at Michael Lavelle Estate Agents. Um, Joanne, you're very welcome back to the show. It's been a few months since we spoke last.
1: Absolutely, Carol. But uh, time feels a little bit irrelevant since the last time. It's very strange.
0: Do you know what it is very strange? And the last time we spoke, you joined us at our studio um, in Dundrum. And of course, now we're recording remotely and we have been for many months. Um, but as I'm speaking to you, um, under under level five, um, the restrictions and protocols around property Have changed, but they're they're still enabling work to carry on. So, Joanne, for yourself and your team, how are you finding things? How are you navigating um, the current restrictions?
1: So, during the first lockdown, we quickly took steps to make sure that we could keep going. Um, Principally amongst those was the virtual viewing. Okay, and really, at very little investment required we were able to get some tech going that enabled us to deliver these virtual viewings. And, and so now you know all first viewers on the virtual viewing basis which is great. Very um, good.
0: And Joanne and- Joanne, excuse me there, sorry, I'm just going to um let people know apologies. We are recording remotely. So apologies for any sound quality issues. Um Joanne, there there might be some connection issues there. We'll continue and see how it goes and hopefully the line will hold up. Okay. Great. So um, virtual viewings, it's, it's good that you were able to, that you were able to access that because actually one of the things we found during the first restrictions um, or the, the first set of um, lockdown restrictions is that actually uh, demand outstripped supply massively. So actually people were genuinely uh, having difficulty in accessing those services.
1: Well, absolutely, because we have also had a very strong trend now in relation to people from Dublin wanting to move outside of Dublin. So it was really important for that cohort of buyers that they be able to access a virtual viewing. Um, It's been a a very important new trend for us in the past couple of months, and we've been able to respond to it. And it's remarkable because it's particularly um, affecting country homes and affecting the larger homes where people are um, leapfrogging, if you like, into their forever home and go outside of Dublin.
0: That's a really interesting one because, look, we, we've talked about this many times over the past few months on the show. And it, it's, it's something that we've heard a lot about anecdotally. But, you know, we still don't know where we are in terms of the data. You know, certainly Daft and my home, the Property Portals, have reported that searches for people uh, looking to exit Dublin and, and looking for properties within um, maybe a, a commute that might be manageable one or two days a week to provide for remote working on other days. You know, anecdotally, we know that people are definitely more interested, but are we starting to see those sales actually going over? Or are you getting them over the line? Are buyers actually uh, committing to buying properties and are are they ready to move?
1: Oh, very much so, very much so. And um, particularly amongst uh, first-time buyers. Now, when I say first-time buyers, that could be anybody a- aged in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, really. Um, in the rental market ready to invest, to buy a property, and they're doing so outside of Dublin. So it means that whereas they might have picked up a starter home in Dublin, a small three-bed townhouse, they're able to afford you know, a four-bedroom house outside. Um, and they're, they're, they're performing and completing their sales.
0: There, that's. Are, are you finding the buyers that you're dealing with, are they people who have a connection with the area?
1: Uh, in many cases, absolutely no connection at all. And to be honest with you, Carol, because there are these people who don't really know much about the area, what I've done is created a website so that they can go and get all the information that they need. Um, and it covers everything from where to buy a coffee to what schools are in the area, to what is the commuting situation from Dundalk, to Dublin or from Drogheda to Dublin. And uh, we've just launched it, so it's kind of early days, but uh, certainly the feedback has been that it's providing very important background information.
0: Okay, so it's actually like a placemaking platform where people can understand and get an overview of the entire area, schools Mm -hmm. and things like that?
1: Absolutely, because can you imagine deciding that you're going to leave where you are and go somewhere which you don't know, You know, these are all important questions and you might otherwise have to go to about 10 or 20 websites, whereas my website is designed to give all of that information in one place. That's a great idea. What is the website called? It's called liveinthenortheast.ie.
0: I'm actually making a note of that so I can check it out this afternoon. That's a great great idea. Um, Thank you. Actually, well done on taking the initiative. That's such a good idea. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think the comparable might be 20 years ago. Uh, some of the really good estate agencies um, in, in key areas would have had brochures talking about the, the local area um, or they would have had a list of schools ready to send to people because these are absolutely vital things you know it, it's lovely to know where's a good spot to get dinner and where are the local takeaways and things like that but actually in terms of schools that's a really core part of research because for many people they have to do that months in advance if not years in advance so actually uh, it, it's good to have all of that data collated. Did you yeah. did you do that yourself or did you collaborate with local businesses in the town?
1: Well, I'm collaborating with local businesses from here on in because we've just gone to launch stage. So basically, I've put a lot of businesses up there and now people can decide and um, if they're not on the list that they can be added to the list or if they don't want to be on the list also they can come off the list. But we've basically got heaps of signposts for... And from there, people can use it as they wish. Really, it's simply a free resource. Excellent.
0: Look, I, I think that's a great initiative too. And, I, I, you know, a lot of times we focus on the technology um, that, that is helping estate agents during this time. And while website might certainly come under that, it that's actually a fantastic way to communicate your local knowledge because... Sometimes it gets lost in the conversation that actually a lot of the inherent value that an estate agent brings uh, for buyers coming into an area, not just sellers is this local knowledge so to package it all in one place that's a, that's a really great idea so well done for that and yes. um, but look how is the local marketplace faring because you you deal with um both sales and lettings and yes, um, for please. example what's the what's the lettings market like at the moment
1: the lettings market is always it's in perpetual undersupply mode here so and um, it's it it's there's, there's never enough property available to rent in dundalk okay and um, and that's simply the situation with it. Um, on the sales side, we're, we're experiencing the same trend as everybody is talking about nationally, that there are less houses on the market than we need or than the market is seeking. Um, so demand is very strong these days. Um, sales are, are strong also as a result. Um, and values in this area, they're moving upwards by about 5 to 10% on last year.
0: Okay, so that would be well above average.
1: Well, certainly. Yeah, I would have said about three months ago, it was moving at five percent, but it's actually gone further now. So even as a simple example, a really good example, last year, a client of mine bought a house for four hundred and ninety five thousand in this region. And I currently have an offer of five hundred and forty five thousand. So year on year, that's 10 percent over. You know, that's that's an important trend. And again, there's a lot to do with the fact that there's less stock on the market, but also um, this exit out of Dublin situation can't be ignored.
0: OK, and, and that's something that we're really keeping a close eye on because, you know, we've seen certainly areas like Wexford and they report similar things to what you're saying is that these are not people who have a connection to the area. And I think that's a really interesting factor because it's one that we hadn't seen at all prior to COVID. Um, and, and of course, remote working and the introduction of innovation hubs to work as a hub and spoke system for people who might not be able to work uh, from home, but might not want to commute into headquarters or um corporate offices in the city center or main urban centers every day, I think that is a really important trend um, i i'm I think it's interesting that you talk about the local market there being in constant undersupply in terms of residential uh, or re- uh, rental properties. Why is that? I mean, are investors not coming into the area?
1: Well, I think in the last few years, we would have seen quite a lot of investors exiting the market. I think the taxation was was a key factor in that, um, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because those rental properties have an important role to play in that sector of the market as well. Um, so some landlords would have exited and you know liquidated their, their investment. Um, and really... Be, there's, a, there's a sufficient demand for homeowners to acquire those, so there's probably a, a gradually depreciating, reducing number of landlords in the market.
0: Okay, but what is that doing in terms of the price? I mean, is it having a noticeable effect, driving up rental prices in the area?
1: No. Well, since the rent pressure zone came in, it's been in long enough now that it's starting to have an effect, and you're starting to see it having an effect. So the the, the the strong increases in rental values has tapered now. You're probably going to rent a, a really good three-bedroom house in Dundalk for um, thirteen to €1,400 Euro a month.
0: Which is still a strong price. You know, I, I I feel like if we were having this conversation, you know, even five years ago, we would have been looking well below the thousand mark at that. Oh,
1: for sure. Absolutely. But when you consider now whether whether people who are moving out of Dublin what, what they're looking for from their employer is an undertaking from the employer that they will only be expected to travel to work two, maybe three days a week. And once they have that undertaking, I mean, albeit the fact that there is a very strong commuting infrastructure here anyway, but once they have the comfort of it being maybe a three day commuting instead of a five day, they're jumping in.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've been monitoring a lot of buyer trends, but what we're seeing at the moment, uh, and this is more anecdotal from speaking to estate agencies dotted right across the country and particularly outside of main urban areas, um, that uh, vendors, um, sellers of secondhand properties, they're very slow to put their property on the market now unless they have a reason to do so. Um, is, is that a trend that you're noticing? Yes, and
1: the, the stock that's coming on the market is motivated by maybe a relocation or a downsize or an upsize need, and um, so that it's much more focused than before, um, but what I'm saying to my clients when they come, when they ask me how to do an appraisal, I'm, I'm focusing them and saying, okay, you know, let's agree a timeline here, because as soon as you go to the market, we'll be busy, and really giving them an, an expectation of a four-week turnaround at the outside, usually Three weeks, mm-hmm.
0: four weeks. Okay, really. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, again, that's just a trend that we've seen up and down the country. And unfortunately, it's feeding into the undersupply because we know that on the construction side, projects were delayed and that's pushing out maybe some of the expected uh, completion and handover dates of new homes with little new or uh, secondhand stock coming to the market. It really is driving pressure. And I know that that's maintaining maybe some of the price drops that might otherwise have happened during COVID. Um, and again, look, in terms of COVID, I, I, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it for the for the next number of months. It is still too early to see the full impact um, of the the pandemic on the marketplace. But I think it's really important that we take a look at maybe some of the regional markets every week because it, it it's a good indicator. So, Joanne, I'm delighted to hear what you're saying, that you're echoing the trend that we've seen about this Dublin exit factor, because at the moment, that's all very anecdotal. Yes. So I, I think it will be an interesting trend to watch. Um, but for now, we'll have to leave it there. That was Joanne Lavelle, auctioneer, sales and letting agent and property valuer with Michael Lavelle, Estate agents. Um, thank you again, Joanne, for joining us. After the break, I am going to be joined by the CEO, the current president, and the past president um, at uh, the uh, of IPAB at the IPAB valuation conference for what I think is a very interesting conversation. Stay tuned.
2: Ninety-three point nine. Dublin South FM,
0: and I'm here with Pat David, CEO of IPav, Ella Dunphy, owner of D and G Ella Dunphy, and Tom Cross of GVM Limerick, and also current president of IPav. And if the room sounds echoey, apologies for any poor sound quality. We are recording this on location after the close of IPav's conference. So, Pat, I'll hand it over to you. The conference today. Tell people what was that about. Um, the conference today thank you Carol the conference
3: today was our sixth European valuation conference uh, which we run in conjunction with Dagova which are the masters of the blue book and who author the blue book on an ongoing basis and this conference we've been running it every year last year we actually had it in the RDS and we did plan for the RDS again this year but unfortunately with Covid and with what happened with Covid as we know it we had decided to put the conference online and hence we did that today and we're running it here today and the conference went out online uh, five hours of it. It's, it's, it, it comes with CPD for our members because our valuers must get CPD every year, 20 hours of CPD. So the conference, it carries five CPD hours. Plus there's an informal section to it as well where people sign and do some reading uh, before the conference and they get an additional five hours for it. So that it's very useful to members uh, for the CPD. It's very useful to members because we always try and attract international as well as European, English, Irish, and also some international speakers and speakers that are speaking completely on valuation. So we've had some today from England, we've had Irish speakers, we've had American speakers, and we've had somebody from Brussels. So we've tried to keep uh, a different sort of a flow of valuation that people are aware of what's going on in valuation in Ireland, but also they're aware of trends across Europe and across America and that's what we originally tried to do and today I think was no different except that we entered a tech section into it today which we've never done before and this tech section is really on tools to help the valuer to make their valuations and to make them stronger by using comparables and showing them how to get the information and the comparables uh, so that overall I think uh, the conference obviously is over overall I think the conference went exceptionally well and um, it was uh, it was a one-off from our point of view. Hopefully, uh, maybe next year we'll be back in the RDS again. Who knows? A lot of work in putting these conferences together, Karen, I, c- so you I, can, know. I can
0: only imagine. And in fact, one of the remarks I had uh, about the day, because we're obviously here together in um, a created studio in the Alex Hotel. Um, but from a technology point of view, everything worked seamlessly. Um, at the peak, do you know how many participants you had actually watching the conference live? Well, we have, um, it's the conference
3: is on a portal, it's on the Bella portal. So that, that particular portal, we had 700, actually we had almost 700 people uh, signed into it. So there were different times of the day there was different people on and off and, and and the way the portal is based is that you can come on and off for different speakers even though when you're doing the CPD the Irish value is there's 450 the mod they would be there for the whole of the 5 hours but there's a lot of people in Europe and America on the umbrella portal so they can sign in uh, they can come on come off they can do what they wish when they when 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 they're on or off you know they can watch a speaker they can watch all the speakers and then we had a virtual exhibition to go with today so they can actually visit all the the exhibition booths which again, is very, very important. So I'd say 700 people or 700 delegates we've had on at some stage today.
0: Very good. And uh, moderator uh, and host, Ivan Yates, made a very good point there. You know, he spoke about the business model of a conference like this and actually the buy-in from exhibitors and the engagement from the audience is massively important and it can't be taken for granted in a virtual environment. So the Brello platform worked well and there was, there was a mechanism there for uh, feedback from yep. the audience or the virtual audience, as it would be, which is very important. Um, we're also joined, as I mentioned at the top of the show, by Ella Dunphy, owner of D&G Ella Dunphy, who was also one of the speakers today. So, Ella, before we get talking about your your presentation, um, What was your highlight or who was your highlight of the day today? Because uh, as Pat pointed out, there was a lot of international speakers and maybe some perspectives that we might have known before today.
4: Yeah, Um, thanks, Carl. Well, my own contribution today was all about Gova and the European valuers and a new product that we're bringing to the market, which is the business valuer and how to become a business valuer. Um, Today was a great opportunity to launch that and, if you like, to inform people of where it is at the moment. Uh, Despite COVID, there's progress being made, but it's actually slow progress, I suppose, considering what we intended doing 12 months ago. Um, There was a lot of highlights today, but I suppose if I was to pick one, I'd pick Nick French, um, who really contributed fantastic, I felt, to the day. But I felt everyone, all the elements that made up the whole conference... Uh, It was just free flow. It was brilliant. Uh, Ivan was a great moderator. You were a fantastic moderator yourself. Um, I think we just encompassed everything today. And I think I have... Uh, Pat Davitt and the team behind it was just—it was amazing. It was a great accomplishment, and we're very proud of it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, one of the things throughout your presentation when you were talking about the valuation of businesses, I, you know, th- there was certainly uh, maybe a realization for me that we use the term auctioneer sometimes, meaning it almost exclusively around property, and that's not necessarily the case. So, in terms of uh, valuing a business or or other um, other such assets. You know, in terms of valuers in Ireland, do we know what proportion of valuers would work maybe not in property?
4: Um, well, there's a large element of people who only value, or don't mean only value, but they specialise specifically in valuing. I suppose the term mm. auctioneer, historically, it was an auctioneer who sold property and land, but now it encompasses a huge amount of Uh, professional services that an agent gives, and valuing is a huge one. And I suppose this is where Togova are homing in on it, if you like, to make more qualified valuers that can really create just, I suppose, deliver on all aspects of valuing is really correct. It's not just about valuing estates or valuing uh, real estate, rather. Uh, It's about valuing businesses. um, And there's many purposes out there as to why businesses need to be valued. But of course, when that happens in Ireland, as we all know, it's really just done by the financial sector. Um, You know, generally, I suppose, accountants do multipliers on on, uh, trading figures, and they come up with a number Okay. But there's far more to those numbers when you look beneath the surface.
0: I can imagine. And I could also imagine that um, a locally based valuer would have insights uh, in terms of a business that maybe that might not be reflected in the balance sheets. Um, would, would that like you're based in Kilkenny City. Yeah. So obviously that's that's a regional city, both with a, a number of large market towns around it. Yeah.
4: Well, I suppose when you look at trading figures, you know, generally speaking, if you're valuing a business, you look for maybe three years' figures. Um, but unless you're a qualified business valuer, you're not going to look beyond those figures. Um, however, as a qualified business valuer, I mean, you're actually part of your expectation is that you state whether the figures are audited or not. Um, but there's no set of figures going to tell you that, say, a business changed hands in the last few years. Uh, or shares have been divided out in a business. And in particular, if an ownership has changed, because that's
0: very reflective on how a business performs. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I presume local competition and uh, the local environment would play a part in that. Oh, totally. Yeah, Yeah. totally. There's a lot of,
4: I suppose, elements to valuing now. And, um, you know, the European business valuation standards, they're really going to create great opportunities, you know, to the valuer that has, um, I suppose, an ambition, to qualify and offer all services to everybody. So be the one-stop shop, so to speak.
0: Very good. And uh, because this is indeed an IPAV conference, I think it's worth pointing out that you were, in fact, the first female president of IPAV in, in the history of IPAV. When,
4: when was that period? Uh, that was in 2018. And I had a great year because obviously, it was pre-COVID and um, it was amazing, yeah. No, i very thankful to IPAV that I was able to represent IPAV as the first female president.
0: And um, it was just an amazing experience. Very good. Yeah. Well, then we'll direct our attention to the current president of IPAV, uh, Tom Cross. So, Tom, thank you so much. Your your own firm, GVM, is based in Limerick City Centre. Uh, but I would imagine through your work with IPAV um, that you would have good insights maybe into how your members are are finding things, particularly during COVID. Uh, how, well, first of all, let's start with Limerick. What's the marketplace in Limerick like?
5: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm based in Limerick City. Uh, we have offices in Kilmalach and Tullamore. We've marks in I and Abbeyfield in different parts of, of the country. But my main uh, involvement in the industry is very much property related. Uh, obviously, during lockdown, we were all very, very concerned about how the market was going to materialize, what the outcome of uh, or the fallout would be as a result of COVID. Um, I think in the early weeks of lockdown, a lot of agents around the country had sale cancellations. You had people who paused deals. You had people who looked for their deposits back. You had, as Pat alluded to earlier in the conference, uh, you had lots of bold predictions by uh, DSRI, among others, predicting price drops of 10%, 15
0: 20%. And, uh, in fact, the the, so, some banks were predicting, like KBC, were predicting up to 20%. Uh,
5: absolutely. Uh, uh, when we re-engaged uh, in early June, it clearly became evident to us that uh, there was still an appetite out there among the public to buy property. The pent-up demand appears to be there for certain type of uh, assets. Uh, residential uh, bounced back very, very quickly. Um, I think every agent in the country made up some of the ground they last in the preceding three months. Um, June, July, August, September, and into October was very, very busy until lockdown again. Um, and uh, we've all recovered reasonably well. Uh, land has been selling well, as we alluded to earlier as well. Uh, industrial properties are letting and selling uh, at a pretty speedy rate. Um, the obvious concerns uh, again are obviously retail and the whole advent of online shopping. Um, the hospitality sector obviously is going through challenging times, and difficult to see, you know, how pubs or restaurants or hotels are going to get back to some sort of normality. Um, and uh, but overall, overall, uh, I think. I think we all agree that the market is reasonably good, given what has gone on and what has taken place. Uh, Looking into the crystal ball uh, to next year, um, hopefully that will be sustained. Uh, There's no reason that uh, it shouldn't be, obviously, the government are are throwing money uh, out there to try and um, sustain economic activity, and uh, that should feed into the property market going forward. So, we're, we're looking forward with a certain amount of optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have other lockdowns, we may have other pause periods of business, but that's the way and the world we live in at the minute. So, we can't avoid that. Very
0: good. Tom, GVM, that was originally Golden Vale Marts, wasn't it? Founded in
5: 1958 by a group of shareholders who wanted to have their cattle sold locally. And they all put their hands in their pockets and they created a little mart down there in Kilmallock. And from there, uh, it's a shareholder held company. From there it grew and they acquired other marts and they purchased a mart in Tullamore and in Kerry Gallen and then we were in the property business in the mid-70s and we opened the Limerick in the early 80s.
0: Okay, and have you been involved then been since in the 70s? I've been
5: in since day one, yeah. Since
0: very good. One, yeah. Um, because I know that IPAV is celebrating its 50th year, which makes you the 50th president. And I don't want to use the term of precedent at times because I think we can all remember 15, uh, 13, 14 years ago, there were very difficult times as well. Um, in terms of a, a legacy, what do you think... 2020 will be as a year for your members and for your
5: industry colleagues well I'd be known as the virtual president uh, Carly, yeah. <laughs> 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 they see me on tv only uh <laughs> or at this type of forum. Uh, so uh but I was there before in in, in, in in the flesh back in 1998 uh so I've I've uh, done my time in that respect but yeah it's very very different it's unusual it's uh, there's no personal contact other than the immediate colleagues mm. that uh, have to travel to these functions out of necessity. Uh, but we miss the interaction. We miss meeting our council colleagues. We miss, we miss meeting our own colleagues in the various cities and towns around the country. And we had plans to kind of do kind of workshops around the country, meet, go to the various uh, centres and meet our members. Uh, we had planned to have, you know, Christmas lunches uh, in Cork, in Dublin, uh, which would obviously boost charity coffers as well as being a nice social event for our members. But at the minute, we can't even have council meetings yeah. uh, among, you know, a group of 15, 20 people, which is very, very understandable, by the way. But uh, it's a new world. It's a new environment. Look, at, it's like, you know, we did foresee ourselves having this conference uh, three months ago. Yes. Given what was going on. And, you know, so we've recreated and we have reinvented. Uh, and had this fantastic virtual event here today. So needs, you know, uh, must and things happen and out of necessity, you know what I mean, are born new ideas and new concepts and that has happened.
0: Absolutely. By like yeah.
5: today and our businesses will reinvent, we'll be doing, I mean, I live. Mars are now doing online uh, selling. Yeah. So if you suggested to me six months ago before COVID that farmers would buy buy into the idea of buying cattle online, Right. And I saw the first you'd be, sheep, sheep, sheep marts online you'd be as well. us, right? yeah. But COVID has forced that. Yeah. And instead of us having public offers of land, we now have to use the online, uh, the online platform. Uh, so we all adapt
0: of course. And in fact, one of the speakers today, Ted Jones, really made that point about um, the, the, the period of COVID and the pandemic restrictions, that creativity grew every day. And I think that's so true. But um, Ella, just listening to Tom, and I won't refer to him as the virtual president, but he did. <laughs> um, but listening to Tom's experience That was very different to the experience you would have had, um, not even in terms of uh, traveling around Ireland and meeting uh, industry peers and colleagues in Ireland, but also outside of Ireland. Yeah, there was a lot,
4: Carl. There was a lot involved the year that I was there. And of course, it was all new ground to me, Uh, but I was mostly accompanied by our CEO uh, when I left the country. So I was in good company and always guided in the right direction. Um, I probably maybe did get a few extra invites being the First Lady President, which was obviously nice and appreciated by myself as well, but times will definitely be different for our current President, Tom, but um, there will be still great experiences, I think, this year as well, and as Tom alluded to, you know, he's had to hit the ground running in relation to technology, Um, but this is the way forward. I don't think we will ever, we will continue with technology into the future, because obviously We're not going to go back Mm -hmm. having little small meetings of four people 100 miles away. They'll be all done on Zoom and just quick and to the point. And then we'll obviously have our, our bigger meetings. And, you know, as both Tom and Pat said, too, we miss the interaction. We miss the exchange with our counterparts because that's how you learn. And you learn so much. So
0: we all look forward to that coming down the line. And this will pass without a doubt. Of course, of course. And that's that's what we hope. And um, from my own point of view, I was delighted to see technology play such a prominent part in the conference this year. I understand it's the first time that technology has has been dealt with kind of as its own stream within the conference, which is is, um, very positive for the industry. But also, I feel it was maybe a good time to do it as well. This being a virtual conference and actually people having to depend on virtual tools to do much of, of their jobs um, over the past number of months. Uh, Pat, you you definitely, uh, as CEO, get the credit for an awful lot of the work here that has, has been delivered with this conference. As I mentioned earlier, it was seamless, um, but you have a strong team there uh, leading you all. Or, or I shouldn't say leading, but certainly working with you all the way. Um, I've been really struck by um, the can do attitude that I've seen here today. That has made everything um, run so smoothly. So, just maybe give us a little bit of insight into the team and the work that has gone into this.
3: Yeah, I think that uh, when you start looking, or when we started looking at this uh, conference, this virtual conference, we had no sort of idea because we do many uh, conferences like this. Uh, or CPD events like this on Zoom which is, uh, we even had to have our own actual AGM this year on Zoom which is a completely different scenario than this and even if you use in pop in or some of those uh, other, that you can link in some of those other platforms into it, even still it doesn't give you the actual feeling that you're really virtual, it gives you the feeling that you're still on Zoom and you're still doing a meeting which uh, I suppose Zoom are trying to do away with actually Amazon are probably trying to upgrade their products and make it that little bit more personal to one, one to the other but at the end of the day Uh, When we started talking about it and my office staff, which I have uh, my office manager, uh, Genevieve, she was here, you were speaking to earlier on, and Valerie, um, and indeed all the office staff, but mostly the two girls have been running this behind the scenes. So we decided we'd go down this road and we would do the conference rather than we don't want to say we don't want to do it. Uh, We want to do it. We want to try and, and we've been trying to make this year be the same for members as really apart from the COVID to make it look as if COVID hasn't affected us whatsoever and to date actually COVID probably hasn't affected us an awful lot except that as Tom says which is really really true that we haven't that personal part has gone but it will be back again but the actual uh, choosing I suppose a a partner for something like this was the is the biggest problem. Like the the Brella platform is, we've looked at it and it's fantastic. It's it really is and it gives people that are on and us as well. Like I have. It gives us fantastic opportunities because you can do so many things with it. Mm-hmm. And from the delegates' point of view, they can do so many things with it if they want to. And the interaction then with the uh, exhibition on it is really, really good. So that um, I think we all had the idea that it wasn't going to be as much work as it is. But when you're starting to look at this project and you're starting to do it, and you have to upload and download and do this and do that and like even the even the boots and everything like that even our own boot that we put in actually and you have to put in all this different stuff to it and we've been up and down with this as to what we should what we shouldn't do uh, like all of the delegates they ought to be checked and rechecked and we have to sell them on one platform and then pass them on to a different platform Um so that it's 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 a terrible it's a terrible lot of work but mm-hmm. the Brella staff have been fantastic like Hil- Hillary and uh, Averly Av- 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 the girl that works it or Avery that works it and um, it's simple to work with yeah. and and people that want to make it happen and want to make sure that you get what you want out of it and and that's it and no more than like you know we chose the moderators like yourself and Yes yesterday like again all people that are that are there to help mm-hmm. and that's really the sort of people that you want to be dealing with so if you're able to deal with all of those and you're able then you have the stomach to do the work Behind the scenes to put all of this stuff up on a platform. Well, then I think you're fine. But if you don't have it, and you think that it's going to be just the sort of thing that I'll turn up on the day and say look into a camera. Well, then I'm afraid you're on the wrong trot.
0: It's definitely not that. Um, yeah, no. Look, the the event really went off without a hitch, which is amazing um, for the scale of. Mm the attendees and the scale of the event. And so that's a huge credit to your own team and um, the the um, event partners, which is important for me. We, we it, prior to COVID, we did a lot of events and, you know, one of the things that I miss is certainly being able to at the time of presenting or even speaking to an audience Um, not being able to gauge the reactions on their face, because I would, you know, it it is so easy to read the body language of people in the room. And, you know, when you've lost people or when you've gained them, you know, when you've upset them um, or where you haven't quite told them enough. And, you know, that's a really important element. And that's something that I personally miss um, through the, the virtual events. And I think the closest we get to that is, the likes of engagement through the Slido app, which is um, a, almost like a Q&A forum. Um, but a really important facility there is that people can upvote. So if there's a question there, people can vote. And it's a great way to get a gauge. So actually, throughout the conference today, I was gauging. I was trying to read the virtual room uh, by the not just the comments on, on Slido, but actually how many people like them. And a couple of really key themes came through because um, on the technology side. We spoke to um, Adam Ferguson of Daft uh, in relation to the new valuation tool. We spoke to John Kennedy of Four Property. Uh, he spoke about the IPI platform. And of course, we spoke to Maeve Hogan, CEO of um, the Property Services Regulatory Authority. And she spoke about not just the residential property price register, which most people would be familiar with, but also uh, the commercial leases. And in fact, a number of questions came up about that To the point where I could see there actually was a genuine lack of understanding as to how um, those databases are populated and where the information comes from, what limitations there are uh, on the property service regulatory authority to actually um, edit the information, which of course they can't, they can't edit, they can't correct, they can't uh, rectify anything and they can just publish as it is, is sent to them and one of the things today, Well, I'm a huge advocate of technology. Um, We need to be really honest about its shortcomings. And I think today was a good conversation starter around the shortcomings of the technology. And I don't think it was as much about the technology as the data being fed into it. Um, We have made massive strides uh, because I remember this industry. I remember doing conveyancing in an industry when we didn't have uh, the, the National Property Price Register. So it's important to acknowledge how far we've come. However, I don't think that's sufficient in at the rate that technology is moving and at the rate that data is being consumed, but also in terms of our own demands as professionals, but the demands of consumers. The demand is for uh, more information, uh, definitely lots more information in real time. So even the weekly uploads, maybe um, updating those databases are not going to be enough long term. Um, There is a a need for uh, actionable information. And from that point of view, it needs to be valuable. And one of the key issues that came up today was that there wasn't a sense uh, amongst a lot of the delegates that the value proposition was there to cover the cost of um, some of the valuation tools. And that's really, that's interesting and it's telling. And that's maybe something that as an industry, we take this as a starting point and and work to improve on that. Um, But in terms of technology and tech adoption, Pat, what, you know, where do you think the IPAV members are? Well, I think on the on the
3: two registers you're talking about, uh, we wanted to make sure and highlight those two registers because on the first register, the property price register, that information comes from the revenue commissioners. And we've been on to the revenue commissioners to ask them to extend that to put in the air codes. And the air codes on its own would be a fantastic thing because in the 2011 Act, there are only four pieces of information that the regulator can look for. So that she can actually get that changed and she can change the law. Mm-hmm. But the regula- but the revenue give her the information. So on the stamping of the deed, that information passes on to the pro- their property regulator and then they publish the information. That's all really she's doing is publishing the information. So we've asked them to put up the, uh, the, the air codes. But really, what needs to be put up there is, and you have heard this talked about today, is the birth certificates, and you should be able to press a button on it and pick up the birth certificate, and the birth certificate is there. But we've been actually writing to the uh, uh, SEAI about this recently because they are have, have, are supposed to have uh, a database in the country of all the BER certificates that are actually that are that are, that are made. They're supposed to have that, and you're supposed to be able to. Uh, access that by the NPRN number now they have come along and said that the MPRN number that they can't do that because of GDPR. and this great word GDRP you know it comes out all the time when you want to get something that you really think should be there but of course there's a reason why you can't and it's GDPR mm-hmm. so we wrote them about it and then we wrote the GDPR after that the data, the data commissioner and I believe that they can do this so they should be if we're serious about this information and we're serious about BER certificates, it should be at, Adam Ferguson spoke about it today, at the touch of a finger. You mm-hmm. should be able to get that BER certificate, put in the information be able to get it. But it should be linked to the house uh, property price register. So the air code should be linked and the BER should be linked. And then you have a lot of information about that property. On the, on the other one that she was talking about, the lease, again, that lease uh, form, that lease uh, commercial lease register is completed by the tenant who takes the property. So the actual, the, the law says that the tenant must complete it. So we must have a look at all of this and see why should it be the tenant? Mm-hmm. Should it not be the landlord? Should it not be a solicitor? Should it not be somebody along the line? I think the tenant or the, la- or the tenant solicitor has to do with one or the other. But should it not be the landlord? Because the landlord has the information. So, or should it not be a mix of both of them and then sort it out someplace else? But the tenant has to do it. So the tenant puts it in and the different information on that, which are very, very important if you're looking for this information to, if you're looking for, we say looking at the value of property and you're trying to see if there's information on a comparable lease is the break clause. And, And may have talked about this today as well is the break clauses. If you, if you get any key money, if you allow any uh, period, a free period in the beginning, and uh, how long the actual break clauses are, and if the rent is upwards or downwards, or upwards and downwards, or as market, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And these are very, very key information. And some of the tenants actually don't know and, and, and wouldn't be in a position to complete this information. So if we're serious about doing these leases, this lease one, and we're serious about putting that register together, we have to get a way that the information is going to be put together by people who know how to do it. And if we, if we do that, then I think we will have a tool that will, be, that will be second to none. Because imagine if you're looking at a lease in where we are now in Sanguine Street today and you're looking to see if there was another one done down the street and you're looking at a 20-year lease here and you go down Sanguine Street and you, and you search it and you come up with another one that was done 20 years, the same type of property, the same type of everything, immediately you have a comparable. Mm-hmm. So like if, we're, if we're serious about it, so there are things that need to be done and that's what we in IPAP are trying to highlight. We're trying to highlight that for our members.
0: Good, good. No, and, and actually one of the clear takeaways today is that the industry is demanding greater uh, and more detailed data. And to be fair, the regulator actually spoke about uh, the her agency's limitations and what can and can't be done. However, the change needs to be prompted and started somewhere. And quite frankly, the audience Today, if that isn't the audience to do it, I just can't imagine what is. Um, so, look, that was a great, that was a great summary or roundup of the conference. Uh, my thanks again there to Tom Cross of GVM Limerick, uh, current president of IPAV, Ella Dunphy, owner of DNG Ella Dunphy in Kilkenny, and Pat David, CEO of IPAV and regular guest of the show. My thanks again and well done on a great
2: conference. 93.9 Dublin South FM.
0: And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So I'm now joined by Shane O'Donnell, CEO of Prop PropTech. Shane, you're very welcome today. Thank you for joining us.
2: Hi, Carol. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having us on the show.
0: No, I'm delighted. And uh, Lanu PropTech is an interesting prop tech. It's one I came across um, in terms of the UK market. But as anybody will tell from your accent, that that's very much um, an Irish accent. So, Shane, tell us a little bit about Lanu.
2: Well, yes, it's a, it's a UK company, but uh, very much has an Irish feel to it. So, it was set up by myself, who's a obviously from from Dublin, but who has been working in the UK for seven years as a local authority planner. And then it was, um, the other co-founder was Luke, who's a mathematician also from Dublin. We actually went to the same school together. And what Lanu is about is basically, I, as a town planner in, in local authority, I kept encountering people who came into kind of the office and were like, what can I do to my house? And basically my feeling was that they were bouncing between the council and the architect and very difficult for them to get a clear picture about what their development options are. And at the same time, there's a trend within planning towards a digitization of of, of planning and all the information. So as a town planner, I was realizing I wasn't really going on site a lot, that I was using a lot of satellite imagery to diagnose a house. So really what Lanu is about is we started building an algorithm to figure out all the different ways that you could extend your house under planning guidelines. And that's where the math- mathematics matches with the planning. So I kind of write the pseudo code, and then we write an algorithm. That Luke writes an algorithm that calculates all the different ways, say, two-story side extension plus hip to gable dormer, and so on. So in a matter okay. in a matter of minutes, gives you a complete picture of all the possibilities. You know.
0: Okay. And Luke is um, another uh another dublin man
2: yes so there's four of us from dublin in the organization and actually we all went to school together in in marion college as well so we all know each other for about 25 years or
0: oh very good and um i know you mentioned there that um two of your uh, two of your co-founders are coming from a mathematician background Uh, what's your own background as in before you went into urban planning
2: was that your Uh, no i actually i went i did um I did philosophy and politics in, in Trinity College and uh, then I kind of did a variety of different jobs and then I, I did the MRUP uh, masters in UCD um, and then I then before I became a town planner so I kind of came to planning kind of late kind of in my late 20s before that I was kind of in politics and communications as such. so.
0: Well, I can only say from my experience of urban planning, philosophy and politics is quite a perfect mix. But um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah. Um, but Lanu, you you explained to me that Lanu actually comes from the Irish word meaning to extend.
2: Yeah, we had a couple of names originally, planolytics and we had a potential to extend. But we, we changed it to something a bit more kind of universal. So, yeah, it's from the, the word Lanu to extend in Irish. And we just changed the spelling to make it a bit more readable for I suppose for the English market so so that's where it comes from as such you know.
0: Okay and um, I, I can see straight away the benefits of urban homeowners uh, for this do you think or has it uh, been applied in the Irish marketplace at all?
2: I, I haven't seen anything in the Irish market quite like that i suppose um and but we kind of looked at it ourselves because obviously the english and irish planning systems are quite similar so um say for example you'd have exempted development instead of permitted development so it's a rule-based system and it's it's kind of similar system so we, we think the actually the algorithm would work quite well in in ireland but I've, i haven't seen an irish company quite quite the same no
0: Okay, and in terms of Lanu, when did you establish?
2: We established at the end of uh, two thousand and eighteen, and we.
0: So, still very new.
2: Yes, very new. I, I think we spent the first um, first about six months just really working on the algorithm. We kind of built it from scratch, and really, it was a very kind of creative process over Skype of trying to figure out. Okay, how do you how do you break down a house? How do you kind of uh, how do you build these rules? And then at a a crucial point, I I suppose it was um, with Ron and Lorcan came involved to kind of maybe this, because when you're building an algorithm like that, it's quite intense. And then it was kind of like, okay, you guys need to to talk to other people. And uh, that's the role of Lorcan came in and was just like, this is a great idea, lads. You need to start engaging with the kind of startup world and and turning it into more of a business. And then Ron came in from a design point of view, because... The kind of, we create 3D models of all the different options. So when you, we put it into the system, we actually create CAD files of 3D models of the house of all the different options. So there's a huge design element because what's the point of uh, figuring out all the options for a house if people can't understand them as such? You know?
0: Yeah, I, I'm really delighted to hear you say that because actually that's one of the uh, one of the driving forces behind a lot of the innovation we're involved in because there is an assumption from within the industry that everybody can understand plans and drawings. And that's just not the reality. And it's very difficult to bring people along with you if they can't visualize uh, what it is. And I know this probably comes from your background in communications as well. But, you know, communications actually is the core part of explaining the the options in terms of property, irrespective of the scale, whether it's in terms of a a home extension or a whole new suburb, you know, as we're seeing, you know, in in South Dublin and Cherrywood at the moment, it is so difficult for people to visualise. And that's where I think, uh, not just uh, 3D drawings, but uh, actually in terms of immersive technologies, you know, there has been such an advancement in this that we ought to be taking advantage of it. But in terms of the algorithm, it occurs to me that if you're dealing with consumers, there are, you know, there is an element of every house is is unique to a certain extent. So how do you factor in that?
2: Well, that's that's the that's the painful bit. Um, basically, you have to like a square house is fine, but not all houses are squares. So you have to kind of create loads of different shapes of houses, and every different shapes of houses, the algorithm changes or the possibilities changes. So you have to use this laning of of the different types of houses. So. That's where it gets really tricky. So in London, you have a lot of two-story outriggers and your PD possibilities are different based on that. So that's really where my planning knowledge comes in key is in the sense that I was, I was working as a town planner for seven years in around different boroughs. So I saw the vast majority of how the different rules can be applied in different situations. So I, I think a, a strong point of what we're doing is, is we're coming from that hard planning background. So a lot of the nuances mm-hmm. is, is built in. And, and we think the accuracy is such a level that we can, we can help kind of the public sector so you go into your that's one avenue we're exploring where you go into your your council and basically this can help planners kind of make sense of the regulations you know
0: Okay and you know we talk about the regulations but as you've mentioned you worked in different boroughs and if the London market is anything like um, the various local authorities in Ireland there can be a slightly different interpretation of of those as well you know how do you factor in that because that comes into quite a micro level
2: <laughs> Yeah um well again, the advantage was that i I had worked in a variety of different boroughs, so I kind of from day one when we were building the algorithm we 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 took this into account, so we built it in such a way that when you're going from borough to borough, you're not rewriting the algorithm you're you're changing certain key variables or' certain key elements of it um and so it's 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 a it's it's a quick change rather than a rewrite so you have to you have to just be conscious of, of the very beginning but then things like permitted developments would be more exempted development in Ireland would be more universal so but the real tricky bit is the combination of all these different elements so so that's again a lot reliant on kind of planning experience so I think it'd be very difficult to build this if you didn't have that kind of planning experience you know
0: yeah I I can imagine and you know at the end of the day we're talking about your offering at the end of the day you're still in startup mode how is this being funded
2: um well we it was bootstrapping for a very long time and then um in September we well we started the uh, TechStars program in London so and um which has a heavy this year has a heavy kind of Irish influence um so basically so that's kind of sustained us but we're we're just about to kind of start a fundraising at the moment so it's been yeah it's been uh, bootstrapping for a long time but I I think in some ways that's been good because we like there's a variety of different actors or stakeholders who could benefit from that. So, so we've needed time to figure out. Okay, what's our offer? Who who does this benefit most, and and where's the kind of the business going kind to of lie for us in the short term? You know. So.
0: Okay, and in terms of um, in terms of traction, obviously it, it's it's early days for you, mm. but in turn, have you had successful. Pilot cases uh, or successful trials?
2: Yes, we we had a trial at the start of the year with a with a high profile um, department store here who were getting into the the home extension market. Um, so we had a trial kind of start of the year and then it was interrupted a little bit by COVID. But we are, I think that the space for home extensions is 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 changing uh, a little bit in the sense it's it's the bigger names or bigger brands are getting involved in doing home extensions. So we're we're, we're engaged with a, a few of those where we're trying to. Kind of use this technology to to help their offer, say people with bigger names than than, than Lanu as such. So that's that's a lot of our focus is on on that as such, you know. So.
0: Okay, and uh, from the, from the early trials you've done, and from the people you're speaking to, because uh, as you've outlined, there there are two avenues for you whether uh, it's directly through the consumer mm. route, the, the individual homeowners, or perhaps through local authority. Where do you see? The the future uh, growth coming
2: from um, well I think the the I think the future growth really will come from the more real estate side of things in the sense that like when you are. When you're thinking about, we think we're at the very, we're most important at that very early stage. When you're thinking about what extensions I can do, but really, if you if you go back in the the line of that, before you even think about those extensions, you have to buy the house. So I think at the very very early stage, when you're looking at a house and trying to figure out what are the possibilities, I think a tool like this becomes very valuable. But well, I'm sure as you can appreciate this, then you're encountering you're in the world of kind of, I suppose, a state agency in that early stage where everything's a bit frantic. So kind of getting traction at that early stage, I think can be a little bit difficult. But we think from a consumer point of view, like who hasn't looked at a house and kind of thought, Oh, what can I do to this house? you know? So
0: Yeah. Well, actually, if you then I suppose if you follow that thinking all the mm. way through, when it comes time to for selling a property. Is this something, might, um, might uh report from you guys outlining what can be done with the property, is this something that might feed in almost as untapped potential? M- might that feed into the valuation of a property being brought to the market? Yes,
2: I, I think we're, we're talking to kind of um, people who kind of more daily deal with kind of buying and selling houses or organisations to do. And that's some of the feedback we're getting kind of early is actually this is could be also quite valuable in the pack of if you're trying to sell a house as well. Um, but at the same time, it is in the end just advice at a certain point. So, so it's not like a so it's, a, it's like a we're not in that surveying thing. This is just like this is our opinion of what you can kind of do to a house. But definitely, I think a lot of houses are bought and sold without that potential really being investigated as such. So, I think it yeah it applies both to the buyer and to the seller as such. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's a really interesting potential application there. Um, and it's certainly something that I'd love to hear more about uh, as the business progresses. So you mentioned there that you, uh, you have you just started on the Techstars London. Yeah,
2: program? well, halfway through, it, it kind of finishes up in early, early December. So we've kind of done two months. So it's sort of just a month and a half. So, yeah, it's, it's been it's been it's been great. And there's another. Uh there's not another prop tech company, but there's another Irish company, audio in in, in in the uh in the cohort as well. So um so yeah.
0: Excellent. And and my understanding of that, if it's like the other Techstars uh program, that it culminates in a pitch day, so that there is the opportunity for you guys to pitch for uh, support and investors at that stage? Is that something that's on your radar? Yeah, well, moment? I just had
2: a meeting about that this morning as such. Yeah, so it's, it's you're, you're not really pitching for investment, but you are pitching just to kind of show how the programme has helped you or how, where you are with the company as such. So this year, it's kind of obviously being a bit dif- different with, with, with COVID, but I, I think, Textiles in general have adapted quite well to to that changing circumstances, so I think what we're we're really trying to show is that idea is that ideation is that really we can help uh coming we discuss previously that you know it's it's difficult for for people to understand planning so so we're looking at kind of three d models as well, but we're also looking at combinations with um a r technology as well that you can kind of see to make it easy for people to see the possibilities you know.
0: Yeah, and look, that's, that's really uh, the only way to help people understand if they're not from this planning background. Uh, and that's something that we've certainly found over the, over the time in immersive technologies, wh- whether it's uh, virtual or augmented reality, we know that that can be such an asset. Um, Shane, I'm delighted to hear about Lanu and congratulations on getting on the Techstars programme. Best of luck for December for the pitch day and I look forward to hearing more about it um, so again thank you for joining us today that's it from us on Property Matters today thank you for listening in you can get in touch with the, sh- uh, with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com also my thanks to Peter Rice on sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media we're back at the same time next week from myself Carol Tallon and old team here stay safe